All right, a couple of you good? All right. Um, well, how was Easter Sunday for everybody? How was Easter Sunday for everybody actually came to church? If you were at church, raise your hand for any one of our services. Okay, a couple of you. A lot of you not. A lot of you not. Okay, well, we'll talk after service. A little conversation about that. Um, hey, I just want to thank everybody who served, um, especially the worship team, because they actually held uh, both services down in worship. I think the kids' church did too, if I'm not mistaken. No, we had two different teams. But it, irregardless, whoever helped and served us in this church last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we want to thank you guys. A big, big, big thank you, because we couldn't do it without you. Obviously, being a mobile church, um, you know, we need people. Uh, so a little plug, if you're interested in serving, you can stop by the info center after church and plug into any place you want to. You know, I started to think a little bit on what to preach after Sunday, Easter Sunday. I mean, Easter Sunday is kind of a big deal, you know, it's kind of like the Super Bowl of Sundays. And, you know, I thought like preparing for that Sunday was going to be hard. Well, I had, I think, a much harder time preparing for this Sunday than I did Easter Sunday, if you could imagine that with me. But um, I started actually Sunday night to think about it because actually Bethany, I probably shouldn't say this because for all the Bethany fans, you're probably like, oh, she was supposed to preach today. Yes, she was supposed to preach today. Um, and I imagine that might let some of you down. Actually, some people at the door is like, Bethany preaching today? I'm like, no, she's not good in church. No, um, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But that would have been funny if I did. Um, I started to think like, what, what, what do you possibly say after Easter Sunday? I, I don't know. I just had a hard time. Usually, the pressure for a pastor really mounts on Easter Sunday. But man, there was a lot of pressure going into this Sunday. And so Sunday night, after all the Easter festivities came to a close for the temple household, I went home finally around 8.30 that night and grabbed my Bible and my phone. You know, I can't say that I usually do that. That would be me coming across like super spiritual. Usually it's just my phone. <laughs> but I, I needed to get my mind into what I was going to speak about this Sunday. So I brought my phone and my Bible with me with the hopes of thinking, like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll crack it open a little bit. You know, after you preach like two sermons, you know, and, and you get home, you kind of don't, I, I, okay, I'm going to just, just going to let you in on a little secret. You kind of don't want to like read the Bible, talk to people, Think about God, you know, you just, I know that's, you're like, you're the pastor, man, but seriously, I like, you know, after two services, I was spent, and I just didn't, I didn't have the bandwidth to be like, oh yeah, let's get into scripture, and just like, let's think about what God wants to speak to the church this Sunday, but I did in faith, and uh, yeah, I, I would say it's faith, I walked to my bedroom with my phone and my Bible, and I placed it on my nightstand next to my bed, and I left to go brush my teeth, came back, and I looked at my Bible in my phone for a good, it had to be 10 minutes, it probably was three, but it felt like 10, you know, you ever had one of those moments? Good thing Bethany wasn't in the room, because she probably would have stared at me and been like, what's your problem? Because I literally, I was just there at the head of my bed looking at the Bible in the phone. I was just like staring it down, okay? And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, what is it going to be? Um, me or the phone? I was like, whoa, that was like crazy, right? That's like unexpected. You know, like one of those, how many just have like those, those unexpected times where God just like interferes and kind of just says something to you and you're just like, whoa, really? Do you have to? I mean, I just preached two services. You did see that, right? Uh, 
But I, I felt like the Lord was challenging me. What is it going to be, this phone or me? And of course, I did what was spiritual, as any pastor would do. I picked up my Bible, and immediately, yeah, yeah, my wife is grateful for that. But I picked up my Bible, and I started thinking about distractions. And I was like, man, I, I, you know, if you know me, you know that I talk often about how easily I'm distracted. You know, uh, it, you know in, in the next two minutes, I could be thinking about something totally different than this sermon and start fumbling over my words, tripping over my thoughts because my mind is in a different place. Maybe it's on lunch. I mean, I'm always thinking about food. <laughs> you may, may notice that as a man thinketh, you know, he... Um, he embodies. But uh, so, <laughs> so I, I, I picked up the word, started thinking about distractions, and I honestly came, I think, into contact of how easily distracted I am, especially in times where it just doesn't call for being distracted. Like, it calls for being focused. Like, and I had one of those moments, and I, I think a layup could be for us this morning if I just talked about Jesus, Mary, and Martha, that time when they're sitting around and uh, you know, serving Jesus and Mary's slacking at Jesus' feet, you know, looking at, you know, it's probably just some kind of cheap excuse to not do anything. They'll be, no, I'm just joking. I'm sure there was plenty that Mary was observing. But I didn't want to preach on that because I don't want to, you know, give way to any slackers today at church. So I picked a different <laughs> chapter and verse. If you could turn with me, I, I'm just kidding. If you know me, you know that I spit a lot, sweat a lot, and kid a lot. So, just, um, it's kind of the way it is. Uh, so if you're planning on sticking around, you know. Anyways, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. One, well, actually, yeah, just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, when you, don't be scared, because when you first look at it, it, you know, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 7 specifically, Verses 1 through 40, Paul deals with various marriage issues within this chapter. There are many problems, right, in the Corinthian church at this time. And uh, it's probably due to the fact that um, for a good time up until the point of where Paul starts to reach this people and starts to minister there, um, they've already been somewhat saturated in Roman culture. And so a lot of that culture is starting to infiltrate the church, and, and so Paul's dealing with a lot um, of issues here, and in chapter 7, he's dealing uh, really broadly with various kinds and struggles and issues in marriages, and so I don't want you to get confused, you're like, what does marriage have to do with distraction? Well, if you're married, you know exactly what it has to do with being distracted, <laughs> but if you're not, then it's, you're probably thinking, what are you, where are you coming from? And so I hope to this morning, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to show us something, I think, beautiful in Scripture that will help us understand how uh, God desires for us not to be distracted but focused. And so if you would turn with me to chapter 7, um, you know, again, the 14 chapters of 1 Corinthians deals with like a laundry list of issues, really uh, anything, any, anything from ministry and criticism, moral issues in the church and the church's kind of authority and realm of handing Handling, excuse me, those moral issues, the gospel obligations, and a uh, pluralistic culture. Um, but in verse 35 of chapter 7, I think Paul says something worth noting. And I believe that it, Paul says something that could ultimately, if we have ears to hear, be something very significant for our church this morning. 
if you turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35, it says this. I say this for your own benefit. Now, know this. What is it for? It's for our benefit, right? We're, we're, we're to benefit from this statement. So listen in, lock in, don't disengage, but focus. So he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, in context, Paul is addressing men who are a bit concerned about moving forward in marriage. They're betrothed, they're engaged, and my wife helped me out this week that in Jewish culture, if you were betrothed or you were engaged, it was almost like you were married, meaning maybe your family already viewed you as being married, uh, or our friends of, your, uh, of the couple viewed them as being married. Like they were like, once you were betrothed, it was like a sealed deal. But these men had not yet consummated in their marriage. And so their concern was really connected to a problem that was going on in Corinth at the time. There was a food shortage, if you could imagine. And the men were concerned that if they get married and they have children, how can they, if they can't feed themselves, feed their wives? Or better yet, their children if they had. And so Paul is speaking into this issue. And what he says at the end, I believe, builds a framework for us. Singled, married, whatever boat you're in this morning. But what Paul doesn't do is really address the issue What he goes after is a bigger picture. And it's found, that bigger picture is found in verse 35. So again, there was a food shortage in Corinth at the time, which was driving some of the concern in these men who were betrothed. And uh, essentially, the people in Corinth were in a frenzy. People were buying up goods fast. Those who couldn't afford to buy were rioting, and they digressed to just brutal uh, behavior to secure for them and their family's food. And this started to really drum up and well up some concern within these men. And this is what Paul is addressing. 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 26. You can turn there in your Bibles this morning. Here Paul is in his opening statement to the betrothed men. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think in view of this present distress. Now right there, Paul is alluding to what's happening in Corinth. The present distress is that there's not enough food for people to eat. So Paul says, in light of this present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Paul makes no clear command, right? Here. I have no command from the Lord, is what Paul says. He has no clear command from the Lord regarding the matter. Uh, In other words, Paul has no words from Jesus' earthly ministry to instruct or command these people on this issue. But he is seen, obviously, the man wrote 33 books in the New Testament, as a trustworthy voice to speak into the situation regardless of having a direct command from the Lord. So Paul again provides the theological framework 
on the nature of living with an undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, before we get into that framework, I'd like to underscore first or highlight 1 Corinthians 7.26, where Paul says, I think that in view of this present uh, distress, we just read that, it is a good, it is good, excuse me, for a person to remain as he is. So Paul is essentially saying, if you're married, don't seek to be free from your marriage. If you're single, it might be a good idea to remain single. If you're betrothed and you want to like move forward in your marriage and sleep with your wife, then you're not sinning, it's okay. So essentially Paul bypasses the main concern of these betrothed men and speaks right into the issue by giving them the bigger picture. And that is, if you're married, be married. But be married with an undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're single, hey, I just want to speak to all my single girls and boys in the house today. If you're single, do it well. Don't be loathing. Don't be, you know, in despair. You know, don't let it ruin your joy and take from you your peace. Do it with class. But do it with an undivided heart. Fully given to the Lord. Ultimately, that's what Paul's going after. He doesn't even address their concern. What his concern is, again, and you're going to hear this a lot, so forgive me if you're not uh, privy to... Uh, me repeating things over and over. Sometimes things need to be repeated, friends. Paul's focus is that these people could give their heart 100% to Jesus. So in Paul's mind, I think there exists a whole other uh, issue here, and it has nothing to do with the question that these betrothed men have. And it really goes on within the text Later we'll see that Paul addresses the issue of money or, or having goods or um, being single, right? We already talked about it. He also addresses the issue of worldliness in the text. And his, his actually exhortation is if you're married, live as though you have no wife. How can you do this? This is the same man who in the beginning of... 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talked a lot about loving your wife. Actually, is this not the man, I believe, if memory serves me right, who said, husbands, love your wives? Does Christ loves the church? I mean, why is he saying now, if you're married, live like you have no wife? Or if you're single, live like you're single, you know? Because Paul is emphasizing something greater here. And, 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 and something in, in this church culture needs to be emphasized great, that's greater than just being single and married or having money and wealth. And that is, are we doing it well? Or are we doing it divided and split in our hearts? You're giving a little bit to the Lord. You know, Sundays and I'm not talking about money, but just your heart, your attention, your mind, everything, just your, your love, giving that. But then when Monday hits, you're still single. <laughs> Reality sets in. You're like, oh, my God, when is, when is my Mr. Right coming? Or better yet, you're married, and you wake up, you look next to you, and you're like, oh, my God, what did I do? The issue is, can you be married and still devote yourself 100% to the Lord? Can you be single and still devote your heart 
undividedly to the Lord? Can you have wealth? This is for some of us here. Can you have wealth and not be distracted by that wealth? Not idolize that wealth? But live with open hands and a heart that is bent towards Christ. Now I draw this conclusion again from verse 35 where Paul says, I have or I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure for you an undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, we could go adrift here really quick. We could get some weeds, theological, doctrinal weeds here, but we're going to read 7 through 29, and hopefully I've built a convincing enough case that this is not just addressing the issue of singleness. This is not just addressing the issue of marriage and money. That ultimately, the big thing that Paul addresses, again, sorry, but for the sake of repetition, living with an undivided heart to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31. Paul says this is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time. You want to underline that. You want to score that. You want to whatever. You want to just make a mental note of that. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none. What? And those who mourn as though they are not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. It is important to understand uh, what Paul has in his mind when he uses the words appointed time. Usually we take that and we're like, oh, okay, Paul's talking about the end of time. Like when Jesus comes. No, Paul is talking about the end of our lives. When our lives come to an end. The appointed time is... The time in which we are measured and numbered. Our days are measured and numbered. For example, look at Psalms 39 verse 4. Here's the psalmist saying, O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. This is the appointed time that Paul is talking about. It's like being aware that life is short. It's fleeting. It's fast. It's one. I mean, if you have kids, you know exactly what I mean. It's like they're little. I remember Abram was just this little tyke, and like I'd have to make sure. I was like, oh, don't bump into that. Blue, oh, you know, and oh, and it's just, ah, you know, put him in a bubble kind of thing. Like, please, like, don't. One day I came home from a late night out at work, and uh, I think this was, no, I, we, were, we, were, we were in full time ministry at the time. So I came back from J Hop, and my house is a bit of a mess, and I'm looking around, I, I hear. Bethany kind of sniffling, and Abram's walking around kind of dazed a little bit. And I look at him, and I'm like, is there, is there blood on your face, boy? What? You? What happened? And so I go right to Bethany, and I'm like, there's blood on his face. What did you do? You know, if, you're, if you have kids, you know how, how you work hard to keep them safe, and well, Bethany had a moment where she didn't keep Abram safe. I was going to call DSS, but decided not to because I'm married and love her and really wanted this thing to work out. Um, so I, I, I didn't do it. But, um, but, but, but when Abram was young, you're just, 
you're, you're, I was, you know, we're like helicopter parents. It's like, please, like, oh, oh, oh. and I couldn't remember. We still are. But anyways, we only have one chance to get this right. He's the one little guy. If we fail with him, we don't have a number two uh, to do better with. So anyways, um, so back to my story before I was interrupted by my wife. Uh, I try, to, I try to contain my own laughter, but where was I going with this story? Yeah, yeah, I came home, that, that passed, they grow up fast. Oh, and I can't, I remember, thank you, honey, that's the time I needed you. I remember, um, I remember saying to Bethany, and in my head, man, I cannot wait till this kid, like, can walk, and he's, like, got balance, and, like, he doesn't just run into things. Like, you know, I'm like, I can't wait. And Bethany's like, well, you better watch your words. It's going to go by fast. I'm like, no, I can't stand, like, helicoptering. And like, oh, you know. And sure, sure enough, excuse me, Abram did grow up naturally. And, um, <laughs> and he learned how to walk and not run into things. And then I found myself saying, man, I wish you would just go back to that little young age where I could be a helicopter parent. But it goes by fast. Our days are fleeting. And this is Paul's point. And it's really tied to a the narrative, a, a, a larger narrative, I should say, that um, in light of our days and that they are measured, Paul is pleading with the church to live undivided. It's like you only have a little bit of time, maybe. You know, and, and, and you shouldn't just give your heart and your life over to temporal things. This is verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Things that are fleeting, things that are passing and rusting and, you know, decaying away. But you should spend your life giving your life to eternal things. How many of us live like that today? I mean, I'm a pastor. And I'm like on a day-to-day basis, I have a hard time. Living for eternal things. Things that have eternal rewards. And, you know, I get so caught up in the here and now that sometimes, other than Sundays, I'm like, Jesus, are you real? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to scare anybody here, but it's real. Sometimes we can go a long time. Go a long time before realizing that these days are numbered. They're They're short. And we should live in a certain manner. And this is what Paul goes after. He's saying, your days are appointed. They are fleeting. They are fast. It's moving fast. Don't just give yourself and and concern yourself with the issues of marriage and singleness and money and all the other natural aspects of life. Give yourself for something eternal. Live with an undivided heart. So from the moment we put our faith in Christ, to the first breath we breathe, to the very last one we take, we are to live with an entirely different perspective that we are not people of this world. And that ultimately, this book calls us to a whole other new world, if you would, of living. And this book encourages us not to get trapped up in the things of this world. And this is what Paul uses as an example for these betrothed men. It's like, this is not the issue, really. If you get married, get married. If you are married, stay married. The issue is, friends, do it with an undivided heart. 
Give yourself 100% to the Lord. So as Christians, we shouldn't live consumed by the things of this world, as Paul lists them, things like marriage, grief, making money, etc. You know, there's a certain kind of freedom in this. There really is. And I think that this is what Paul has in mind. A freedom from things. Wasn't that the remarkable like, thing about Acts when the Spirit of God starts moving? It's like everybody starts detaching in this community from things. Possessions, just giving them over. Just like, how can I help? Oh, I'll sell this. I'll give that piece of land. I mean, just boom. Just nothing has a hold on them in the sense of earthly possessions. And Paul is just, I think, sounding and bringing that to attention here for these betrothed men. There seems to be a kind of foolishness, in, meaning it lacks good sense in Paul's opinion to get worked up over living for things which seem so temporal and passing. Paul's desire for the Corinthian church is that they would be a people who would remain free from anxieties brought about by what we have or what we don't have. Anybody anxious this morning? No? You're blessed, my friend. Uh, give me five minutes. I'd probably point out a couple places of anxiety in your heart. I'm anxious. Sometimes I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Sometimes I don't have peace within my heart of how much I make currently. It's always this game of like, okay, how can I get more? How can I consume more? How can I, how can I, how can I? I'm not against that. I'm not against that. I'm all for growing and increasing and, you know, having more. But if it starts to infringe, if it starts to meddle and play with what is most important, I'm done. I'm done. But yet, the tension of that can sometimes get me anxious. You know, it's like looking over at the Jones house. That, that Tesla. Still got a 2005 Ford Ranger. What could I do? You know what I'm talking about. Comparison. You know, we compare each other's lives. It's what really Instagram, Facebook is all about. You're scrolling through your feet. They got that new pool. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? And sometimes that can cause us to be anxious. And Paul wants us to be free from those anxieties. He doesn't want us caught up with the delusion of excess and always having or not having anything. Isn't that amazing? He just doesn't start with people who have much. He even goes after people who have nothing. The point is, be content and devote your heart 100%, not 50%, but 100% to the Lord. Is this okay? Is, any, is, this, is this? I know you guys are already there, right? You're like, I know, I, I get this. Paul wants us to be free from anxieties. Essentially, anxieties is at its worst when we obsess over things we have and strive after things we don't. You can hashtag that. 
I want to bring this plane down to a landing here. You know, I started thinking about um, what gives God the right to demand from me to live a certain way? What, what gives him the right of taking from me my God-given right to have more? You know, I'm like, 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 I want that pool. I want that car. Who are you to stop me? But do you know this? God actually thinks that he is superior to things. He actually has the audacity in Scripture to come across as a God who sees himself superior to materialism, superior to wealth, superior to happiness, marriage. What? How do I draw that conclusion? For what other reason could Jesus say to the rich young ruler, sell all your possessions, follow me? What? I've worked hard for these possessions. They're mine. I bought them. You want me to sell everything and give it away? Who are you? If I said that to any one of you today, you would deem me as a madman, and you should. But God sees himself big enough to come to the most wealthy, affluent person in this room today and say, give it all away and follow me. And you know what? I didn't see that Jesus was, little, was barely scathed or barely moved by this ruler's response because he's no, he knows he's worth following. sit there and start trying to talk the man into it? For what else could a superior being like Jesus say to a son of a father who wants to bury his father, his deceased father, let the dead bury their own? Nobody says that except for a man or a God who is superior to family. Oh, that's a hard one. I can, I can see eyes just beating in. It's dark in this room. I can see some hated. No, I'm just joking. God is superior. He, he, ha- he plays no qualms with telling people to give all they have. Give all they have. Follow me. He has no qualms in saying, who is my father? Who is my mother? Who are these people? My family are the people who do the will of God. Oh, he has that courageous, brave heart because he knows he's worth following. Friends, in your estimation of God, in your take of God, is he worth it all? Is he worth, if, if God came to you, much like maybe he came to me last Sunday night, and said, me are the word. And, and, and if God came to you, and maybe it was different, maybe it was like, you know, sell your home. What would you do? Would you 
consider the worth of Christ better, bigger than your home. If Christ said to you today, empty your savings account, sow it into missions, is, is Christ today big enough for you to take that faith and say, Lord, you're worthy? Now, you may, be you may think I'm talking stupid. You know, you're, you're talking crazy, but this is what I see in, in Scripture. I see Jesus, a God who is worthy of it all, not just some, not just parts, not just 10%, 25%, 30%, 50%, 100% of everything. And the issue for the rich young ruler is not that he's rich. It's that he's living divided. Amen. He's living with one foot. In. I've done everything. I've loved my neighbor. This is what he said. I've, I, I, I did this. I did this right to the letter, God. Jesus says, ah, there's one thing you're missing, though. And that is what traps this ruler up. He can't do it. Most likely because, well, I don't even want to fill in the gap there. But I know the times that I can't do something that God calls me to do. It's because I do not truly see his worth. Now, for some of you, that went in right over your head. For others, that's stuck. Let it stick. Because it will change your life if you let it stick. If you let it get into your heart. And everything that you try to hold on to, every distraction that you see worth more than this book or time with Jesus, ask yourself, Jesus, are, are you worthy to me? Do I hail you as being worthy above all? love it. We sing it all the time. You're worthy of it all. I, we don't, I don't know if we sing it with the conviction and the and, and actual, like, you are worthy of it all. Gordon D.V. says this. You don't have to know who he is. He's a guy that I like. I steal from as much as I can. Probably some, stole some thoughts from him today. Um, no, I didn't, but this one, I'm going to quote him. And Paul is saying that marriage and other aspects of normal life, is God big enough to interfere with your normal life? What you hail as normal is pathetic to God. Pathetic. Everything that happens under the sun. <laughs> that will change the way you live for Jesus. Marriage and other aspects. Wow. Sorry. Let me just come back. Oh. Marriage and other aspects of normal life. Weeping, rejoicing, buying, consuming. These are the things that Paul listed. Must be viewed from the vantage point of the kingdom of God the importance of which transcends all other commitments and ties. I'll leave everyone with this scripture today. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. It's going to be a long one, so hold on. Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus, our Messiah, talking 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I don't know who said I'm not anxious, but right here, I don't believe that Jesus is using this for any other reason than he knows we'll be anxious in this life over the things of life. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. We have entire social networks dedicated to us and our bodies. As you can see, I took Jesus literally there. I don't care much about my body. No, I'm just joking. On a serious note. What you will put on. It is not life, um, is not, sorry, life more than food and the body more than clothing. Think about that next time you ring up your credit card with debt then guabble and mourn because you can't go out to dinner with your friends because your credit card is maxed out. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep, reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value? That, do you not have more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider these lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, another time he says, don't be anxious. Saying, what shall I eat? Or what shall I drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Isn't that awesome? It's not that he just, he doesn't tell us to forego what we need. He says, I know what you need. And I'll meet those needs. As I meet the needs of the birds and the grass and all these things that Jesus is listing here. Friends, I would like to suggest to us this morning that we need to come free from the power and the spirit of this age. And often I think when we think about that, we may get a picture of Marilyn Manson. (laughs) Such an extreme, right? Like, you know, like the spirit of this age is like, how gross can it get, you know? But yet, I think that sometimes the spirit of this age has nothing to do with what's obviously disgusting, but things that are so natural in our lives that we find ourselves in the West continually groveling over and trying to get the next best thing. And I, I, I think that God wants his bride free from the spirit of this age, the power of this world, And it starts, it starts here at this point. It starts at the point where we say, God, I don't want materialism. I don't want any of these things causing me to live with a divided heart. And so if I get there, God, if if at any time wealth or 
possessions or family or marriage gets in the way, Lord, remove it. Remove it in the sense that I can live for you wholeheartedly in the midst of my marriage or in the midst of my singleness or in the midst of me having much or having little. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I have done my best to convey what I feel like you're speaking to this church. And Lord, now I relinquish control of the outcome and the fruit that this word would bear in the hearts of these who have gathered. Lord, I Surrender that outcome to you, trusting, Lord, that you're bigger, better, and able to finish and complete the good work in which you've started. And if you've started a good work here today, given this word, you will complete it, Lord. You will water it, grow it, and mature it to its full stature. And this is what we trust you for, Jesus. If I could have Will come up with me and just give me some of those emotional music. Um, you know, I imagine that there's probably some here today.